Welcome to Between the Lines, presenting news and analysis of critical issues affecting our communities, the nation, and the world. This week we present Daniel Ellsberg, best known for his leak of the Vietnam War era Pentagon Papers, who explains why he believes holding President Trump accountable for his many crimes and corruption is critically important for democracy and the rule of law. Investigative reporter and author Greg Pallas, who recounts how massive voter purges in Georgia were exposed and the importance of voting access issues ahead of the state's two critical Senate runoff elections on January 5th. And independent investigative journalist Gareth Porter, who warns that the Trump Justice Department's seizure of 27 allegedly Iranian government-controlled website domains constitutes a threat to free speech. But first, we begin with a summary of some of the week's underreported news stories. Ethiopia, Africa's second largest nation, may be headed toward civil war. Prime Minister Ebi Ahmed ordered a military response to the ruling Tigray People's Liberation Front attack on a camp housing federal troops. Under Abiy, who won last year's Nobel Peace Prize for ending a war with neighboring Eritrea, Tigrayan leaders have complained of being unfairly targeted in corruption prosecutions, removed from top positions, and blamed for the country's problems. One factor in the latest crisis was the postponement of national elections due to the COVID-19 pandemic in August. When parliamentarians voted to extend officials' mandates, which would have expired in early October, Tigrayan leaders went ahead with regional elections in September that Abiy's government deemed illegal. The national legislature run by Abiy allies declared a six-month state of emergency in Tigray. There are growing fears of an Ethiopian civil war spilling over to the neighboring nations of Sudan, Somalia, and Eritrea. The U.N. Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has called for an immediate de-escalation of tensions and a peaceful resolution to the dispute, but there currently appears to be little desire to talk on either side. More than 1.5 million people in Myanmar's conflict-ridden areas have been politically disenfranchised after the country's election commission canceled the November 9th general election, deepening concerns about the credibility of the country's first poll since Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy won a landslide victory in 2015. Since that election, the NLD has failed to pursue an aggressive peace initiative with ethnic communities to end long-running insurgencies dating back decades. The vast majority of voters affected in Rakhine State, where the conflict between the autonomy-seeking Arakan Army and Myanmar's armed forces has intensified since late 2018. Nearly a million Rohingya Muslims fled Rakhine in late 2016 after a brutal crackdown by the Myanmar army and Buddhist militias. Human Rights Watch blasted the decision to cancel elections in ethnic communities in Kachin, Karen, Rakhine, and Shan states. Min Zhao executive director of the Myanmar Institute for Peace and Security, told Al Jazeera, 
the cancellation will lead to the disenfranchisement of 73% of Rakhine voters and inevitably push them to more radical approaches, making it harder for national reconciliation. On Election Day, voters across California approved sweeping criminal justice reforms and supported limits on the size of urban police departments. In a shocker, Los Angeles County District Attorney Jackie Lacey was ousted by an insurgent candidate seeking to rein in the power of police unions. Voters in Los Angeles backed Measure J, requiring county government to spend millions of dollars on social services and outreach instead of law enforcement. Voter support for more police accountability signaled an end to the era of tough-on-crime laws like three strikes and you're out. Statewide voters also rejected an attempt to increase penalties on petty offenses and restored parolees' right to vote. The one setback for California reform efforts was the rejection of Proposition 25 to eliminate cash bail. The defeat of Los Angeles District Attorney Jackie Lacey, an African-American woman with close ties to police unions, was an important victory for Black Lives Matter activists who for years had organized against Lacey's refusal to prosecute officers in a number of police shootings of unarmed men. The winner, George Gascone, is a former San Francisco district attorney who ran on a platform pledging to expand the use of pretrial diversion programs and alternative sentencing courts. The vote in support of reforms will reshape how services are accessed by homeless people, individuals released from prison, and how police shootings are investigated and assessed for criminality by prosecutors. This week's news summary was compiled by Bob Nixon. For Between the Lines, I'm Anna Manzo. Although several days have passed since former Vice President Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election, Donald Trump and Vice President Pence have refused to acknowledge their defeat, despite having lost the Electoral College vote. Most congressional Republicans have either signed on to the president's false claims of election fraud or remained silent. Meanwhile, Trump's administrator of the General Services Administration hasn't recognized Biden's victory preventing the start of the transition process. And worrying to many in the Pentagon and beyond is Trump's post-election firing of Secretary of Defense Mike Esper. After Attorney General William Barr instructed federal prosecutors across the country to investigate charges of voting irregularities before states moved to certify election results, the Justice Department's top election crimes prosecutor, Richard Pilger, resigned in protest. This latest episode of Trump regime efforts to subvert democratic norms and constitutional checks and balances occurred as the president's legal team launched baseless legal challenges alleging widespread voter fraud has unfairly deprived Mr. Trump of re-election. Now, many across the nation are preparing to mobilize to protect the outcome of the election, democracy itself, and to hold President Trump accountable for his many crimes, corruptions, and cruelties. Your reporter spoke with Daniel Ellsberg, a former career government analyst who, in 1971, leaked the now-famous Vietnam War-era Pentagon Papers to the press. 
Here, Ellsberg explains why he believes holding Trump accountable for his transgressions is critically important for democracy and the rule of law. I would say that in the case of these criminal and unconstitutional actions that he's taken, there should be accountability. You've raised that word. And what does that mean? I think that President Obama, when he came in, made a definite error uh, when he decided not to prosecute uh, people who had been guilty of egregious, blatant crimes, including torture and universal surveillance, both of them unconstitutional and illegal, criminal in domestic law. And he, he put the attitude that some will be saying now, definitely, once Biden is installed, but uh, they will be echoing President Obama. And that was, let's look forward, not back. Well, wait a minute. Prosecution does look back. That's what uh, calling people crimes and prosecuting in order, they, they look back, not at what you're going to do or what you thought of doing, but what you did do in the past. And if you don't prosecute, you've in effect decriminalized those actions. And Trump has set precedents now, as everybody knows, some people give him credit for, some of the people who voted for him. But he's set precedents here of what a president can do and can assert, can get away with, that I would say can't be allowed to persist as presidents if we want to remain a democracy and not on the road to uh, clear-cut autocracy, fascism, I would say. I do think the prosecutions should be pursued, not only of Trump, but of so many people who enabled him. And uh, we have, what is it, eight, nine, ten weeks now left of Trump for him to commit a lot more crimes. And uh, I would like to see uh, people who know what's planned or what's happening to speak out in a way that we haven't really seen at the time in the past. There have been some books come out but without documents uh, to speak of, whistleblowers, uh, people like Chelsea Manning or Ed Snowden, and, for example, uh, contingency plans for provoking war with Iran. I feel certain from 50 years of experience here uh, and, and watching and studying our government, I feel certain that Trump has such plans right now for provoking a war, uh, contingency plans, but readiness to exploit some incident or other and go to war, which would be a disaster greater than Vietnam and Iraq put together, uh, even if it didn't go nuclear, which is probably wouldn't, but it could go nuclear. I would like to see people telling that right now. How about the pandemic? Uh, I'm sure that Fauci, who may be fired tomorrow or the next day, uh, has file drawers full of studies that contradict official studies paid for by the government, or the taxpayer, that is, to show that what the president has been saying has not only been untrue, uh, but that he has been advised of that, that it would cause deaths. He has gone ahead with open eyes to uh, jeopardize our, uh, our health to the tune of hundreds of thousands of deaths and even more. Those documents should be out uh, now. I mean, they should come to... Uh, not just to Congress, but to the press and everybody. If Fauci is fired, he should he should take with him. And let me say before he's fired, get himself fired by putting those documents out right now. And uh, in other words, there's a lot of work to be done to save our democracy in the next 10 weeks and the next four years throughout. 
we're, we're really just starting. We've dodged a bullet, in a sense here, of a disastrous four more years of Trump. But four more years of past Democratic programs, including Obama and Clinton and others, on the issue of climate will not save the world, the world population, from catastrophe. We have enough democracy left to uh, get out there, even in the face of a pandemic. We'll have to do more than that every day, every week, every every year ahead of us. And we've got to change this country in the process of helping change the world fast, or climate brings it all down. That was Daniel Ellsberg, best known for leaking the now-famous Vietnam War-era Pentagon Papers to the press. His latest book is titled The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner. Find more analysis and commentary on the need for post-election Trump accountability by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. The election of Joe Biden was called by major news networks on November 7th, after the former vice president had secured at least 279 electoral votes, more than the 270 required to win the White House. As the counting of mail-in and provisional ballots continued across the U.S., it's likely that the Democratic presidential candidate will garner 309 electoral votes and 5 to 6 million more popular votes than Donald Trump. Democrats won three upper Midwestern states, the so-called Blue Wall, that they needed to overcome Trump's narrow margin of victory there four years ago. However, as the counting continued days after the November 3rd election, Georgia emerged as an unexpected battleground state, where as of November 10th, Joe Biden was leading Trump by more than 14,000 votes. The last time Georgia voted for a Democratic presidential candidate was nearly 30 years ago, when the state voted for Bill Clinton in 1992. In 2018, Greg Palast, known for his investigative reports for BBC, The Guardian, and Rolling Stone, exposed the Republican purge of some 198,000 predominantly Black and Latinx voters from Georgia's voter rolls, which contributed to the narrow defeat of popular Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. But with knowledge of the GOP vote-stealing scam, Palace teamed up with the ACLU and Abrams Group Fair Fight to restore the votes of thousands who were purged, a key factor in the surprise outcome of Georgia's 2020 election. Your reporter spoke with Greg Palast, who recounts how he exposed the massive voter purges in Georgia and other states, and voting access issues, ahead of Georgia's two critical Senate runoff elections on January 5th that will determine which party controls the U.S. Senate. When we say a voter's been purged, it's not like a TV show where every year you get one day to kill anyone you want. Rather, every two years, a GOP secretaries of state get to remove any voter they don't like. And, um, and it's not a small amount. According to both the uh, federal agencies and the Brennan Center, 16.7 million people were purged in the last two years leading up to this election, removed from the voter rolls. Some legitimate, maybe about half. But we looked at the purges, the removals from voter rolls of, uh, in states like Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, uh, Nevada, and Arizona. Uh, sound like an interesting list to you? Yeah, those are the swing states where um, uh, Republican operatives and and by the way, we'll, I investigate Democrats too. We're, but in you know, obviously, if, it, if you're removing voters of color and 
and young voters and low-income voters, and that's almost everyone who gets purged falls in one of those categories. Young, black, uh, low-income, uh, when I say voters of color, Hispanics, Asian Americans, too, really get slammed. Uh, so this time, I worked in coordination with groups, especially, and our biggest single focus was Georgia. And I know, and I want to give you a warning, according to the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, Greg Pallast is a Stacey Abrams shill, that, you know, I'm, I'm just her stooge. No, I am her colleague, and I was the one who uh, warned her originally in 2014, were seven years ago, when I first showed her these purge lists by Brian Kemp. And years later, the two of them would face off for the governorship, and those very purge lists I showed her were what stole the election, and she said so. She does cite my work for the theft of that election in 2018, and she did hire my expert team to help her put together a plan this year to save voters. Now, I did another analysis working with the ACLU of Georgia, another, of course, subversive organization, as you, you know, I'll admit. And uh, we found that 198,351 voters, we know exactly, were illegally removed from the voter rolls of Georgia. Uh, obviously, we tried to fight to get them on, but mainly uh, I worked with the Black Voters Matter Fund, uh, headed by Latasha Brown, Cliff Albright. We sent out 98,000 postcards. Southern Poverty Law Center made calls. We raised hell, and we issued this report. And uh, probably very helpful is that um, we made a film released by Leonardo DiCaprio, two films that got 7 million views, and set up a website where voters in Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and uh, North Carolina could see if they were illegally purged, removed from the voter rolls, and then re-register. So we ran this campaign, and it's not, it's not partisan. It's not about Democrats. It's about citizenship, protecting the right to vote. But the truth is, and everyone knows it, that the work that I did, Stacey Abrams did, and others that we all did together, um, obviously had one hell of an effect. And now, I mean, that doesn't mean that it was a clean election in Georgia. They stole what they could. The only reason we're in a runoff, there's two Senate seats up for grabs in Georgia in a runoff, January 5. Whoever wins those two seats has control of the United States Senate. So, man, everything is on the table in these two races. You know, it was interesting to read today, Greg, that uh, mm -hmm. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger has been criticized by the two Republican Senate candidates. In fact, they demanded he resign because they are now stuck in this runoff situation where the eyes of the country, if not the world, will be on Georgia to see who's going to control the U.S. Senate for the next few years. Tell us a little bit about this secretary of state and why he's now hated so much by these two Republican candidates that are facing a runoff. It, it's funny. Um, it's, I was just on the phone with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the ACLU, and we were laughing because it's like, it's like a couple of bank robbers suing their getaway driver because he didn't show up in time for the heist. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's pretty funny. This guy's killed himself to, to jack with the voting system. You know, they're, they're basically spanking him for not stealing enough for them. Right. Come on, guys. 
Greg, what kind of work are you going to be focused on in these weeks between now and these special runoff elections in Georgia? Just teamed up with Southern Christian Leadership Conference, obviously Fair Fight Georgia. We're going to bring our expert team back in that uh, Stacey Abrams funded. Uh, We're going to do more reviews of the voter rolls, and we're getting out notices to people. We're going to do another film from Leo DiCaprio's site. We're going to fight to see if we can get the courts to protect people and put them back on the rolls if they've been wrongly removed. We're running a massive media campaign. And again, it's all about getting people back their voting rights. That was best-selling author and investigative reporter Greg Pallast, whose latest book is titled How Trump Stole 2020. Find a link to Greg's investigative reports by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. In the long-running propaganda war between the U.S. and Iran, the U.S. Justice Department announced on November 4th that it had seized 27 online domains, claiming these websites were controlled by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, against which the DOJ was enforcing active U.S. sanctions against the Islamic Republic. However, one of the news sites taken down, with no proof that it was controlled by Iran, was the American Herald Tribune, which is based in Canada and features real Americans posting pieces under their own names in opposition to U.S. foreign policy toward Iran. Between the Lines' Melinda Tuhu spoke with Gareth Porter, a longtime investigative journalist who's written about Iran in various publications, most recently for the Gray Zone news site. He maintains that this move to actually seize a website that was accused of being secretly state-sponsored without the slightest evidence is another major step towards state control over what political content is allowed on the Internet. He warns that this move by the Trump Department of Justice is a flashing red light that all supporters of freedom of thought and expression should condemn. Here, Porter talks about the threats to Internet freedom and what can be done in response. From my point of view, this is a very disturbing development. This was part of a larger set of crackdowns, or whatever you want to call it, removals by the uh, Justice Department of the Trump administration against Iranian-related websites that have cropped up over the past few years. But American Hill Tribune, I would argue, is a bit different because when Facebook moved against a larger group of websites, both Russian and Iranian, a few months ago, They did, in fact, move against uh, the American Herald Tribune, but unlike other cases, they never provided any clear explanation or rationale for their doing so. And uh, I wrote about this at the time, pointing out the anomaly, if you will, that Facebook went ahead and did this, but never announced it officially, never released the information to the press for months and months, uh, but that they had gone ahead and done this and that it was extremely suspicious in the sense that uh, it suggested that they hadn't really gotten the uh, information that would provide the excuse for doing so, and that they were simply grouping it in with other websites that they claimed to have 
uh, other information to, to base their judgments on. Now, in this case, just to briefly describe the American Herald Tribune, uh, this is a website that has genuine Americans uh, writing under their own names, their own points of view on U.S. foreign policy. And they are people who genuinely oppose U.S. policy toward Iran. They're quite exercised about it. They're quite upset about it. But some of the writers are less well-informed, and some of them are perhaps not very well qualified. But the, the point I'm making is that they are genuine in terms of who they are and, and holding their own opinions. There's no legitimate argument here that they are somehow false names or false fronts using a, a website to advance Iranian interests or acting on behalf of Iran. It just doesn't hold up. So my point here is that this move by the Justice Department and the FBI is extremely dangerous because it sets a precedent which can be followed up in the future whenever an administration really wants to get rid of a pesky website that is highly critical and gaining some traction within public opinion. This is a, a model for how they can do it. And there's no fundamental legal basis for it that is legitimate. There is no uh, reasonable factual basis for it. And therefore, it, it really is something that needs to be opposed uh, very strongly by people who care about freedom of, of belief, freedom of, of writing, freedom of press in the United States. That's the short version. Gareth Porter, can you comment on the role of big tech in having outsized influence on our lives? Absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, the, the problem is this big tech power over our lives is, of course, much more far-reaching and therefore uh, should be much more frightening to everybody who, who cares about their freedom. Um, and, and this is not a case where people can say, well, I don't have anything to worry about because I've done nothing wrong. I mean, because this power affects every aspect of our lives and therefore should be something that is resisted. What can people do about this erosion of freedom of the press? None of this uh, can be addressed without political system change in this country. The answer to all of the above is that we must have a new political system that begins with organizing a movement that is responsive to the real needs of people, having a foreign policy and a military policy that is uh, going to end the kinds of um, actions and policies that we've been talking about in this case with regard to Iran are very high on the list, certainly on my list, that's for sure. But they are part of a broader range of actions or projects that have to be brought to the surface and acted upon by the American people. That was independent investigative journalist Gareth Porter. His latest book, co-written with John Kiriakou, is titled The CIA Insider's Guide to the Iran Crisis. Learn more about the Trump Justice Department's move to close down foreign-affiliated websites that dissent from U.S. foreign policy by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. You've been listening to Between the Lines, a weekly program presenting news and analysis of critical issues affecting our communities, the nation, and the world. Between the Lines is produced and distributed by Squeaky Wheel Productions. 
If you have suggestions for topics and guests, please contact Between the Lines through our website at btlonline.org, where you can hear our current and archived programs in MP3 and streaming audio and support our show. There you can also subscribe to free weekly podcasts, program summaries, and interview transcripts. Follow us on Facebook at Between the Lines Radio News Magazine and on Twitter at BTL Radio News. Thanks for listening on WPKN in Bridgeport, Connecticut, WUML in Lowell, Massachusetts, KPSQ in Fayetteville, Arkansas, dozens of other community radio stations across the U.S. and abroad, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Our theme music was written by Richard Hill and performed by Mikata. This week's program was produced by Susan Bramhall, Mary Hunt, Anna Manzo, Bob Nixon, Melinda Tuhus, and Jeff Yates. For Between the Lines, I'm Scott Harris.